because I, I couldn't climb up on the stage and I forgot my notes and Bible in the back. And um, I'm just not a multitasker, you know? Like, I've always wanted to juggle. I've never been able to juggle because the more that different things are happening, the more, like, frazzled I get. And so, on Kids Connection Day, I'm like, holy cow, what's happening? The bus is broken down. This parent's going to hit me. This kid is crying. The AC's broken inside, you know? And so, tonight, I'm a little distracted by carrying this cross. And it's incredibly inconvenient. Really. And, uh... I've been carrying this since about 5.30 tonight, except for a few times when I had a few friends pull it for me. And uh, it's funny because I heard one of you tonight ask someone, hey, is that heavy? And see, here's the thing. Something doesn't have to be heavy in order for it to be inconvenient. You know what I'm saying? And so all night tonight, you guys are like, man, that, that's it's weird. Why is she carrying that cross? And it's because there's a point. Because here's the thing. Most of you tonight showed up to play games, and that's cool. The guy that's saying, I've got business I want to take care of tonight, and and I'm going to wreck shop whether you like it or not. And that includes me. Don't think that I'm exempt because I'm the one up here. And and as inconvenient as carrying this cross is tonight, and I'm trying to juggle it, and I'm trying to look at my notes, and I'm trying to watch this stuff back here, and eventually I'm going to need another sip of water. It's painting a picture for you guys about this thing called life. Because you and I, we have one life to live, 365 days a year. Every single human on the planet, regardless of your race or ethnicity or the amount of money in your bank account, has 24 hours in one day. And you and I get to choose how it plays out. That's the power of a choice. We get to choose how our lives play out. And every single choice every single choice we make, either it's for good or it's for bad. There is no in-between. Okay? And every single choice you make will either allow you to understand and know the heart of the Father and His Word better, or it won't. And the reality is this. I know that you're here tonight and most of you are playing games. And here's how I know that because I'm just like you. When worship becomes more of a clubhouse feel, like, oh, club cool. Or, oh, it's Reckless Love. It's my favorite song. I can really connect with Jesus right now. Then something's wrong with that. Something's up with that. When when we come into a time and a place and we say, man, what can I get out of this? What's God going to do for me? We've got it all wrong. Every single choice you make every single day will either be for good or for bad. And while we have the freedom to choose, every single choice carries weight. It's not exactly that this cross is very heavy. If I stand just right and I'm still... I can kind of get it to balance on my shoulder. But it's just inconvenient. And it's not a matter of if it's heavy. It's a matter of am I carrying my cross? How are you living your life? 
Some of you thought that you would show up this week and love on kids in the name of Jesus and play with your secret sin on the side and nobody know about it. And God's calling you out tonight. It's time to be done with the games. It's time to stop playing church. It's time to stop making the cross of Jesus Christ an accessory that fits our life and let it be the thing that shapes our life. I can't tell you how many times earlier I tried going through the kitchen door like this. Lexi kept saying, tear it, turn it, tear it, turn it. I'm just like trying to move forward, you know? Like you can't just carry the cross everywhere. You, you can't carry your cross in one hand and play with your sin in the other. It doesn't work like that. God is a holy, perfect God. And he hates sin. And so you can sit there and think all you want that your sin is a secret and nobody knows and it's no big deal because after all, Jesus took care of it on the cross. But it is a big deal. Because every single choice you make carries weight. And it's either for good or for bad. Tonight we're going to look at Jonah. And I'm not going to go and read it all. If you haven't read it, I'd like for you to read it tonight when you go back home. But Jonah is a guy, and a guy went to Jonah one day, and he said, Jonah, I need you to go to the city of Nineveh, because the people are lost. They don't know their left hand from their right. They are full of sin and evil. And Jonah, I need you to go tell them about me. Jonah, smart cracker that he is, says, mm, no thanks, God. Peace out. See, on the flip side. And Jonah not only disobeys, but he takes a cruise completely the opposite direction from Nineveh to Tarshish. So not only does Jonah disobey, Jonah makes it really convenient and comfortable for himself. There is nothing comfortable about carrying the cross. So you guys are probably familiar with the story. Jonah gets on a boat. All of a sudden, there's a storm. I don't know if you've ever caught this, but it's not that there was a storm on the boat because the crosswinds came in at a certain degree and the humidity level was just right. I've always wanted to be a meteorologist. The reason there was a storm on that boat was because of Jonah and his disobedience. We sing a song, but it's really not that pretty. Reckless God, reckless love of God. God will stop at nothing to get your attention, especially in your wandering and in your disobedience and in your sin. Because Jonah disobeyed, God said, Jonah, go. Jonah said, no thanks, out, deuces, hopped on a boat, went the other way. Because of that, there was a storm on the boat. Now listen, when you and I choose to disobey, it will always cause a storm in someone else's life. But you know what you and I are good at? We're meteorologists. Because here's what we do. Oh, poor me. My life sucks. My parents are punks. Man, my dad's been in prison my whole life. My parents got a divorce. So-and-so did this to me. So-and-so did that to me. And we sit there and we predict the weather and we talk about how everyone else's crap caused suffering in our life. But you know what I don't hear at the table of conversation? Man, you know what? My sin has hurt people in my life. Man, my selfishness has caused somebody else's storm. 
My pride has gotten in the way. My anger, my lack of self-control has presented, prevented somebody else from understanding who Jesus is. And we read stories like Jonah, and man, we are quick to throw shade on Jonah. But he's no different than you and I. Right? God says do this, and we're like, ah, no thanks, I don't really feel like it today. Why don't you try Amber? She seems to love you today. I'm sure she'll take care of you. You know? We do the same thing, but we sit around and we talk about how everyone else has jacked us over because of their sin and their foolishness and their stupidity, but I have yet to hear a young person say, man, because of my waywardness, because of my sin, because of my pride, I am misrepresenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't care how high you raise your hands in worship. I don't care how close you think you are with Jesus. When you make choices that directly violate the word of God, you are in sin and it is wrong. It's wrong. And it's ugly and it's painful and it's disgusting. And here's the funny thing about Jonah. The instructions were really clear, right? God's not vague. God's not like, hey, Jonah, I need you to. Like, God's really clear. And God says, Jonah, go. Jonah says, no. And then we have a problem. There's a storm on the boat because of one man's disobedience. But it gets worse because instead of Jonah taking responsibility, this is what Jonah says. Well, actually, he goes and he takes a nap on the boat. Okay? So we see that Jonah obviously cares more about himself than he cares about the other people on the boat, right? And so then, the guys on the boat, they're casting lots, and they're praying to their little G false gods, and nothing's happening because it's a false god, right? And so, Jonah eventually says, okay, okay, listen, it was me, sorry, bad news bears, I'm your problem, right? And instead of taking ownership, this is what Jonah says, just throw me over the side of the boat, you ever thought about that? Why does Jonah, a grown man, ask other grown men to throw him over the side of the boat? Because it makes him a victim. Instead of taking ownership, instead of saying, guys, I'm so sorry, I'm the reason there's a storm, uh, I'm just going to go for a swim. Sorry about that. Catch you later. And he jumps off. He says, just throw me over the side of the boat. Because it's a whole lot more fun to play the victim card when we're dealing with sin, right? Instead of taking ownership, instead of saying, I have a problem with pornography, we want to sit there and say, well, I never had a dad in my life, and so because of that, yada, yada, yada. Just take ownership, man. Just take ownership. But we don't do that, do we? We sit around and we make excuses and we pat each other on the back and we say, oh, man, so sad. Stop passing out umbrellas on the boat and just get off the boat. If you're not supposed to be on the boat, get off the boat. If you're not supposed to be dating that person, quit dating them. Stop making excuses. Stop looking at crap on your phone or on your laptop or on your TV. Stop hanging with the people that you're hanging with that you're not supposed to be hanging with and stop making excuses. It's really that simple. Jonah, 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 Jonah. Refuses to take ownership. There will be always be consequences for your wrongdoing. Just like you and I. 
But in the mercy and kindness of God, there was still another chance. There always is. Isn't that amazing about God? I give people about three chances to trust with me. And if they lie to me one more time, I'm like, mm, you out, homie. I don't know about you. <laughs> you know, but God's not like that. God's like, okay, cool, Terry. You repenting about that same thing again? Cool. Terry, I love you. I forgive you. Today's a new day. You're a new creation, Terry. The old has gone, the new has come. There is no condemnation for you because you are in Christ Jesus. There was still mercy and kindness. Three days. Three days of prayer and a fish. God sends a giant fish to swallow up Jonah. But here's a crazy thing. I mean, that's got to be a big fish, y'all. I'm thinking, like, if I'm Jonah, I bet Jonah likes brownies like I do. I'm thinking if I'm Jonah, that's got to be a big fish, y'all. And I don't know, like, if you're a fish and you're eating a human, you're probably not, like, a vegetarian fish, right? Because humans got meat on our bones. So, like, none of us eat a chicken nugget and we just, like, hold it in our stomach whole for three days, right? I mean, think about it. As soon as the food enters the mouth, it's chomp, chomp, down, down, right? And goes down a whole digestive tract. But God in his kindness sends a fish to swallow Jonah whole. And the fish doesn't crush Jonah. And it's in the belly of the fish that Jonah begins to cry out to God. And he begins to pray and he says, God, I'm so sorry for getting it wrong. And you guys know the story. Three days later, that fish vomited Jonah. This is gritty. This is warm. This is cold. This is incredibly disgusting. Is that the bobo? No, it's not. I watched a coworker chew up hot dog to spit it back in. But think about it for a minute. Think about it for a minute. As disgusting as this is, it really does not compare to real vomit. And, and here's the thing. God will use vomit to get your attention about the disgustingness of your sin because he's that serious about it. It says this in Proverbs 26, 11, like a dog that returns to its own vomit is the fool who returns to his own folly. Translation, when you keep returning again and again to your same sin, you're like a dog that returns to its own vomit. Now I gotta tell you something. Do you know why dogs return to their own vomit? Great, I'm glad you asked. I know, real appetizing after enchiladas, but hang with me. Here's why dogs do that. Because in their vomit, they smell food. And so really, dogs return to their own vomit to fill a hunger that they have. When you and I sin, we are trying to fill a hunger that can only be filled by Jesus Christ. It will never work. It will never work. A dog will never be satisfied off of its own vomit. You will never be satisfied from your sin. You will never be satisfied from your sin. I've been around the block in lots of ways. If you knew my testimony, you probably, well, that's not a hearing over there. I'm not standing up here like I don't know. I used to be in East St. Louis on the weekends till 4 in the morning chasing sin. Wearing the name of Jesus, 
playing the church game on Sunday mornings, but doing my own thing. Proverbs 26, 11, like a dog that returns to its own vomit is the fool who repeats his folly. Translation, like the dog that returns to its own vomit is you and I when we keep going back to the same sin again and again. God will use fish vomit to rescue you because he's that serious about your heart and your soul. And he wants all of you, not just part of you. He doesn't want the the part of your heart that's great about worship. Man, you guys love worshiping. It's awesome. I could do that all night long. But what are you giving God in the middle of the night when you can't sleep? What, what are you giving God when you're on social media and you've got your fake Instagram accounts, Instagram accounts or wherever it's called, I don't know, I'm old. You know? Like, what are we doing? We're playing games. But in His kindness, God caused the fish to vomit. As gross as this is, and it's real gross. Real vomit is much more disgusting. There's a stench to it. There's pain involved with vomit. There's stomach acid. That's how serious God is about our sin. Do you really think that Jesus endured the cross for you and I to play games? Here's the thing. The gospel was good news and it was good enough for Jonah. But as soon as God said, Jonah, I'm going to rescue Nineveh and I'm going to use you to do that, it was no longer good news. And that is a counterfeit gospel. When Jesus is good news for you on Wednesday nights because you're worshiping, you're up at the church, and Jesus is good news for you on Sundays because you, man, you see Amber and Jake, and it's awesome, and you're in Club Jesus. But Jesus isn't good news for you on Friday night when everyone's partying, and you're there wearing a mask, playing a game. That is not the real gospel. That's a counterfeit gospel. And the only one getting punked and getting scammed in that, in that is you and me. Jonah believed the gospel for himself, but not for others. That's a counterfeit gospel. Jesus died for my mama, just like he died for me. Jesus died for ISIS, just like he did me. Jesus died for my, man, people in my life that are just punks, just like he died for me. And if it's anything less than that, then it is not gospel and it is not true. But don't we do that? Don't we play games? Don't we play God in the center of our universe? We kind of set the rules. We set the boundaries. We can have a heart for homeless people we don't even know, but our own family members we can't stand to even look at. That's a counterfeit gospel. And God is saying, that's enough. We're done. We're done trying to eat our own vomit. We're done. We're, we're done. If you were hungry tonight, you would never think, oh, I'm going to go throw up and eat some of that. You, you would freak out if I started drinking this. But that's what we do when we sin. Counterfeit gospel. I'm going to close out tonight. We're going to take a look at the cross. The Bible says, that it is far better for you to obey than to sacrifice. We talked about that earlier. Jesus told his disciples one day, he said, hey, do you really love me? Disciples are like, yeah, Jesus, of course, man. We rock and roll with you every day, homie. We homies for life, man. 
You hook us up with bread when we're hungry. You brought the waters. Man, you turn dog, you turn water into wine. Yeah, we'd be a flesh, man. And Jesus flipped the script on me. Because he said this, if you really love me, you'll do what I've asked you to do. Yikes. Really? Jesus, isn't that a little harsh? Come on, you're the God of love, right? You're the God of kindness, of mercy. Jesus says, if you really love me, you'll go on a mission trip to St. Angel. If you really love me, Tara, you'll have 20 House of Faith shirts by the time you're 30. Tara, if you really love me, you'll wake up every morning thinking rainbow and sunshine and all things Jesus. If you really love me, Tara, you'll go through the entire day without getting grumpy. He doesn't say any of that. He says, if you love me, you'll do what I've asked you to do. And Jesus asks some audacious things of you and I. Forgive others when they've wronged you. Not when they ask for it. There's going to be people in your life who will never ask for forgiveness. They will never apologize to you. But Jesus says, forgive when someone takes something from you, you're to turn and give them something else. Be kind to those who persecute you. Be slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen. Think of others more highly than yourself. Put others before you. Put you and your life and your plans and your dreams on the back burner. Serve me. Do everything as unto me. Don't do it for recognition. Don't do it for applause. Do it for me. Be kind. Be gracious with your speech. Represent me every day, every hour of every day. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I've asked you to do. Jesus didn't ask you to raise your hand to worship tonight. Jesus is asking you to be real. He wants all of you. Psalm 23 talks about this. Jesus prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. There will always be bad news bears in your life. Things will always go wrong. There will always be hardship. There will always be hard days. There will always be unanswered prayers and broken dreams and crushed hearts. I hate to break it to you, but let me just be frank. Let me save you some heartache. There are going to be prayers that you feel like God doesn't answer And there's going to be people that you pray for that never get set free. And it's not because God doesn't care or he's not involved or he's not listening. It's just because we live in a boasted, broken, jacked up world full of sin. And sin hurts. Sin sucks. And your sin costs the ones around you. But you want to come to St. Angelo and love kids in the name of Jesus and play games and think nobody cares? No. I care. I don't even know you. But far more importantly than that, your leaders care. And God cares. And the cross is incredibly inconvenient. Incredibly inconvenient. And it is heavy. And it's not comfortable. Where do we get off thinking that to pick up and follow our cross is going to be convenient? Where do we ever get off thinking that to pick up and carry our cross and follow Jesus is going to be cool? I saw your looks tonight. Some of y'all will give me that crazy eye, man. It's all good. Where did we ever think that carrying our cross was going to be comfortable 
It's not. It's heavy. I can't wait to put it down. But that is the call of Jesus. He says, if you love me, you'll do what I've asked you to do. And if you really want to be my disciple, if you really want to be like me, if you really want to follow me, if you really want to surrender your life to me, then you'll pick this thing up and you'll carry it every day. And you'll carry it home when your family's a part to you. You will respond with kindness when you'd rather cuss them out. You'll take your cross and you'll carry it to your school. And you'll be the one to stand up and pray. You'll be the one to stand up for the kid that's getting bullied. You'll be the one to do the right thing and to be honest and to have character and integrity. You guys will be the ones to rebuild your youth group. Stop relying on Cody and Amber and Jake and your leaders. You be the one to carry your cross. Sneed, you can come on up. I got off on a tangent. I want to read this to you tonight, and then we're going to be done. Few persons are crucified today, except by ISIS and other various terrorists. For us, the cross remains confined to ornaments and jewelry, stained glass windows, romanticized pictures and statues portraying a serene death. Crucifixion was a form of execution refined by the Romans to a precise art. It was carefully conceived to produce a slow death with maximum pain. It was a public spectacle intended to deter other would-be criminals. It was a death to be feared. In the beating, it was in this condition that Jesus faced the first physical abuse, punches and slaps to the face and head while blindfolded. Unable to anticipate the blows, Jesus was badly bruised, his mouth and eyes possibly injured. The psychological effects of the false trial should not be underestimated. Consider that Jesus faced them bruised, dehydrated, exhausted, possibly in shock. <laughs> there was no time out. Jesus never said, hey, guys, can you give me a minute? Really? It's getting a little too intense right now. Time out. 60-second rule. They just kept going. And they kept going. And they kept going. In the flogging, in the previous 12 hours, Jesus had suffered emotional trauma, rejection by his closest friends, a cruel beating, and a sleepless night during which he had to walk miles between unjust hearings. Can you imagine when Pilate said, he asked the crowd, he said, who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas, an actual thug, criminal, or Jesus? The one who gave naked people clothes to wear. The one who touched the untouchable. The one who healed the sick. The one who fed the hungry. Can you imagine the heart of Jesus when the crowd chanted, Give us Barabbas! The rejection. The betrayal. From the very people that Jesus blessed. From the very people that Jesus spent his entire life serving. A man to be flogged was stripped of his clothes and his hand tied to a post above his head. 
He was then whipped across the shoulders, the back, the thighs, and the legs. The soldier standing behind and to one side of the victim. The whip used, called a flagellum, was designed to make this a devastating punishment, bringing the victim close to death. Several short, heavy, heavy lather thongs, leather thongs, with two small balls of lead or iron attached near the end of each. Pieces of sheep's bone were sometimes included. As the scourging proceeds, the heavy leather thongs produce first superficial cuts, then deeper damage to underlying tissues. Bleeding becomes severe when not only capillaries and veins are cut, but also arteries and the underlying muscles. The small metal balls first produce large, deep bruises, which are broken open by further blows. The fragments of sheep's bone rip the flesh as the whip is drawn back. And when the beating is finished, the skin of the back is in ribbons. And the entire area torn and bleeding. The words chosen by the gospel writers suggest that the scourging of Jesus was particularly severe. He was certainly at the point of collapse when he was cut down from the flogging post. Jesus was allowed no time to recover before facing his next ordeal. Made a stand, he was dressed in a robe by jeering soldiers, crowned with a twisted band of thorny twigs, and to complete the parody, given a wooden staff as a king's scepter. Next, they spat on Jesus and struck him on the head with the wooden staff. The long thorns were driven into the sensitive scalp tissue, producing profuse bleeding. But even more terrible was the reopening of the wounds on the back of Jesus when the robe was torn off. Further weakened physically and emotionally, Jesus was led away to be executed. The wooden cross used by the Romans was too heavy to be carried by one man. Instead, the victim was to be crucified, was made to bear the detached crossbar across his shoulders carrying it outside the city walls to the place of execution. The heavy, upright portion of the cross was permanently in position here. Jesus was unable to carry his load, a beam weighing around 75 to 125 pounds. He collapsed under the burden, and an onlooker was ordered to take it for him. Jesus refused to drink the wine and myrrh offered him before the nails were driven in. Thrown down on his back with arms outstretched along the crossbar. Nails were driven through Jesus' wrists into the wood. These iron spikes, about six inches long and three-eighths of an inch thick, severed the large sensory motor median nerve, causing excruciating pain in both arms. Carefully placed between bones and ligaments, they were able to bear the full weight of the crucified man. In preparation for the nailing of the feet, Jesus was lifted up and the crossbar was fixed to the upright post. Then with legs bent at the knee, a single nail was used to pierce both feet, one foot being placed over the other. Again, there was severe nerve damage and the pain caused was intense. It was important to note, however, that neither the wounds to the wrist or the feet caused substantial bleeding since no major arteries were ruptured. The executioner took care to ensure this so that the death would be slower and the suffering longer. 
Down now to his cross, the real horror of crucifixion began. When the wrists were nailed to the crossbar, the elbows were intentionally left in a bent position so that the crucified man would hang with his arms above his head. The weight being taken on the nails and the wrists. Obviously, this was unbearably painful, but it had another effect. It is very difficult to exhale in this position. In order to breathe out and then take in fresh air, it was necessary to push the body up on the nailed feet. And when the pain from the feet became unbearable, the victim would again slump down to hang by the arms. A terrible cycle of pain began. Hanging by the arms, unable to breathe, pushing up on the feet to inhale quickly before again slumping down and on and on and on and on it went. This tortured activity became more and more difficult as the back of Jesus was scraped against the upright post, as muscle cramps set in because of the inadequate respiration, and as exhaustion grew more severe. Jesus suffered in this manner for several hours before, with the final cry, he died. And yet you and I want to play games. We want to return to vomit, you know? Because we like our sin. Because sin is fun. Because I don't like answering to anyone. No one's my boss. Nobody can tell me nothing. I, I'm going to play with my sin and, and I'm going to eat my vomit because frankly it just doesn't matter what Jesus did on a cross. Reckless love. It wasn't pretty. It was incredibly painful. Incredibly painful. Far more painful than you and I will ever understand. But we play the game. We play the game. Some of you showed up this year. You're like, yeah, that's cool. I'm here to serve. Yeah, I love Jesus. But you're playing with crap. And tonight, God is saying, enough. I'm calling you out because I love you. It's time for you to come out from amongst the crowd. It's time for you to stop playing games. It's time for you to stop being addicted to that thing. Do you really think Jesus endured the brutality of the cross? So that we would struggle with the same sin again and again? No, there's victory for you and me. There's freedom for you and me. But the choice is ours. And you will never taste the goodness of God as long as you try to fill yourself off of your own puke. You will never, ever taste the goodness of God. The cross is not some key card to an elite social club of the best of the best. You and I are trash, full of pride and sin, arrogant, stubborn, stiff-necked. The cross was the invitation to the better life. Because Jesus said, Tara, it doesn't have to be like that for you. I love you. And if you'll give me your crap, I'll give you my cross. And trust me, it's a completely unfair exchange. Because you know whose cross that was? That was mine. And that was yours. That, that should have been our feet nailed to this wood. That should have been us having trouble breathing on the cross. But Jesus took it to set us free because he loves you and me. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've said. You're not too far gone. That same Jesus, he loves you. And he's saying, take it, take it, give me the vomit. 
Take it. It's yours. Maybe you've never made that choice tonight. Maybe you've never chosen to surrender to Jesus. Tonight's an opportunity for you. The Bible says that if you repent, turn from your wicked ways, ask God to forgive you, he will give you a brand new clean heart. He will make you new. Oh man, if y'all knew my testimony, it's wild. Completely different than I was 10 years ago. Sometimes it freaks me out when I think about it. You know, like I'm completely different. Y'all think I'm whack now, you should have seen me 10 years ago, man. We have come a long way. I got a long way to go, but you know what? We get it. And I don't always get it right. I don't. But you know what? Every day there's an invitation. And every morning Jesus greets me and says, Good morning, Tara. Are you ready for a day of an adventure? Here's your cross, baby. Take it and ride. Take it and ride. This was the thing that you were meant to carry. Not your family. Not your sin. Not your problems. You were created to carry this and to run your race. Because when you carry this, others see a difference in you. And they say, hey, what's up with you? How come you aren't like everyone else? What, what's going on? You know? You were created to carry this. And every day, Jesus wakes you up and he says, good morning, babe. Time for another day. Rise and shine. We're going to rewrite the history books today, you and I. Are you ready? Because I've been breathing stars all night. I created a beautiful sunrise that you missed because you like to hit the snooze too many times. But baby, here's your cross. Take it and run. Run with me. It's going to be incredible. But you and I miss it all the time because we're like, mm, you know, I'm good. I, I think I'd rather, you know, I think I'd rather take this with me today. Thanks, oh God. Hey, maybe tomorrow. Tomorrow's Sunday. I'll connect with you tomorrow. But the invitation is there. Some of you tonight, you've carried your cross. You've chosen to trust Jesus. But somewhere along the way, you grew tired. You got tired of doing the right thing. You got tired of praying. You got tired of holding out that things would be different. Here's the beauty of the kingdom. You ready? I've been tired all night carrying this thing, man. I'm tired, and I'm old. And tonight, I was trying to carry this and fry eggs and whatever else was going on. And Amber, I barely know her. Shocked I remembered her name, honestly. Damn, that she was married to Jake. That's cool. And he's not from State Farm. <laughs> but you know what she said to me tonight? She said, hey, Tara, do you want me to help you carry your cross? That's kingdom. That's gospel. That's community. And then Miss Teresa did the same thing. Could, could you imagine trying to go to the bathroom while holding this thing? Impossible, hello. I nearly broke out three windows and knocked out two co-workers tonight. But when you get tired of carrying your cross, when you get tired of following Jesus, when you get tired of doing the right thing, when you get tired of leaning in and pressing into Jesus and praying and worshiping because life is just hard, you look to the ones beside you. That's why it matters who you roll with. Because not everyone's going to help you carry your cross. You were created for community. We are better together. We are better together. You can't help others carry their cross if you're not first carrying yours. It will never be easy. It will never be light. It will never be fun or convenient. 
It is death to self so that Jesus can live in and through us. And here's my last thought, and then we're going to close. There will never be resurrection without first crucifixion. There will never be resurrection without first crucifixion. You want to really live? You want to be everything that God has created you to be? Do you want to rewrite the history books for his kingdom? That a hundred years from now, someone's going to read about a great revival that took place in all places of Paradise, Texas, surrounded by cows and fields. I've been up there. There are little windy roads. Man, they're fun to drive on. Do you want to be a part of that? Then you've got to get over yourself, and you've got to die to yourself, baby. You have to. God wants to use you. But you've got to first die to yourself. So here's how we're going to close tonight. This is a little unconventional. But some of you need to be reminded tonight about what the cross is and what it's not. And and you guys are going to go back and you'll get to talk to your leaders. And I trust that whatever God is doing, that I'm going to hear about it in the morning. It's going to be awesome. But here's what we're going to do. He's just going to play. And I'm going to pray. And if you need to be reminded about what the cross is, about just how uncomfortable a cross is, because here's the thing. We think Jesus, following Jesus, I'll be convenient, right? Uncomfortable. But Jesus is never going to ask us to do something hard, right? Because he's a good, good father. Malarkey, false. He's going to ask you to love unlovely people. He's going to ask you to give your sack lunch to someone who's more hungry than you, and that's all you have. So if that's you tonight, I'm going to lay this cross down. And then I'm just going to invite you to come to the front. And then I just want you to lay on the cross. That's it. I'm not going to crucify you, I promise. But I just want you to lay on the cross. And actually take 10 seconds See if you can get comfortable. I did this one time and it's impossible. But after tonight, I want you to never look at the cross the same way. I I want you to feel what it feels like. I I want you to see how uncomfortable it is. If you need to be reminded tonight about the cross and what it is and what it's not, then I'm going to pray and then no talking. Just come up, quickly do that, and then go back in your spot and pray. We'll do that for just a couple of minutes. And then I'll pray, and I'll pass it over to Cook. So God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for what you're doing in this place. And um, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the way that I have taken advantage of the cross. An instrument of torture. I'm sorry for the way that I've tried to make the cross look pretty and appealing. I'm sorry for the way that I've tried to make carrying my cross about me and being comfortable and being convenient. God, I'm sorry for the countless times, time and time again, that I've sat and ate my own vomit because I loved my sin more than I loved you. God, I'm sorry. 